0: Hello and welcome to Tamper Tantrum episode the 33rd, uh, that could turn into an Irish joke pretty easily, the 33rd, <laughs> broadcasting not so live from the bells of the Twisted Pepper and a car
1: in a car park in Stafford, how are you Mr Layton? I am very good Colin, very good, uh, apart from I am in a car park because yeah, I couldn't get back to the roastery in time to record this and our guest was waiting for us, so I, I just had to improvise. And A car park in Stafford seems as good as anywhere else in Stafford. It's one what of the class highlights. of car park
0: is it out of interest? Is it an Asda car park or Marks and Spencers car park? Or-
1: no, it's, it's a council short-stay car park, so okay, this right podcast here. this podcast has to be less than two hours, otherwise uh, I will get evicted. Wow, okay, that would be a,
0: a catastrophe for Tamper Tantrum, as we know it. Is that going on the Tamper Tantrum I, budget, actually? I just need to... We yeah,
1: have we, have we ever had a car clamped mid podcast before?
0: Well, it's towed away. It's a bold new territory. I think we'll we'll get there. Um, <laughs> what you, I think you should introduce our guest because you know you guys are almost brothers. I'm going to say so. Take it away, Stephen. Yeah. Well.
1: Okay, so our, our guest is. Um, I'm going to put it out there as probably my favorite coffee producer in the world. Not because his coffee is good, because it's terrible. It's awful. But he has become like a brother. We have hung out a lot. He's been to Stafford a number of times now, and I've been to his house a number of times. Uh, He owns a farm in the Apaneca Mountain region, near to the town of Turin. He is uh, Alejandro Martinez from Finca Argentina.
2: Um, Hi, Ali. Hi, Steve. How are you? Hi, Colin. Hi, Ali. How's things? Um, Things are good. A little dry here right now. We haven't had a lot of rain, but other than that, uh, things are good.
0: We have loads. So I could send you some
2: if you want. Oh, please do. We actually need some.
0: <laughs> yeah, we could arrange that. No problem. Um. So the, the the idea behind today's podcast is to um. I think we've done a lot of scene stuff lately, like community stuff, and um. I think it's time to take it back to coffee a little bit. So myself and Jen and Steve spoke about like why don't we just pick one topic. And and talk about that. And I said something as I don't know as simple as El Salvador. And then your name came to light. So, we want to go to like just like, root to cup. What happens in El Salvador? Um, and the first part of that I suppose is introducing yourself. So, tell us about yourself. How you got into coffee and um and, and uh, how you got into coffee. Like what 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 made you end up as a coffee farmer?
2: Sure. Um... I don't think I have a very different story from a lot of other other uh, young producers in the country. Uh, basically, uh, El Salvador as a country grew uh, with coffee production. Um, just to give you a sense, they started, har- uh, I guess, planting coffee trees back in the eight, 1850s. And um, basically, the coffee production grew exponentially um, to be about 90-95% of total experts of the country by the early 1900s. So a lot of people were into coffee in this country. Um, my grandfather got into coffee and bought some farms, and then my father inherited some, some of those farms. And um, when I decided to move back to El Salvador in 2007, I, I was actually working in New York for an investment bank and um, decided to move back and took a look at the farm, fell in love with coffee, fell fell in love with the farm, and I've been doing that ever since.
0: Wow. Um, so how long have you been back farming coffee now?
2: Oh, it's been seven years, eight years, I think. I started in 2008, actually. I moved back in 2007 um, and started getting involved with the farm in 2008.
0: Okay. And... Um, did you mean to start in specialty coffee, or is that just something that that you happen upon? Like, is has did, was your target market all always the the kind of higher quality stuff, or did you think that you just you know grow some coffee, sell some coffee?
2: Um. I. Uh, um. Well, I I stumbled into it. I would say, um, specialty coffee wasn't on my radar. Uh, I knew I had good coffee, and I knew I should be getting somewhat of a premium for it and um, so I investigated a little bit and sent some samples out with the help of my cousin that lives in the UK some of those samples got to Steve's store uh, he got to cup them like them and then we developed a relationship that's been a very uh, good one I would say and and he's been very supportive to what I've been trying to do uh, Uh, providing me tips, advice, and so forth. So what I've noticed here in El Salvador is a lot of growers are not really aware of how the specialty market works and uh, the benefits that it can provide to them. So they still farm in the traditional way. Um, They sell their coffee in the traditional way, and um, hence they're just very dependent on the sea price for their crop
0: okay. right so yeah so most people in El Salvador like um, produce coffee just for the mass markets and from what I can remember it's like 85% bourbon in the country is that correct um,
2: not quite I think we're down to like 65% bourbon um, the country as a whole has about 90 95% bourbon pacas. You know, mix, uh, and yeah. I think pure bourbon is about sixty-five, and then you have twenty-five, thirty percent of of pacas and in into the mix. Um, the pacamara variety that was developed in El Salvador actually is not very widespread, so it's only about three, four, four percent of the of the uh, area that has pacamara. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and i uh, not talking in production, but I'm talking like an actual farmers, okay? Like, so actually like producers themselves, the people. What percentage of the people growing coffee do you think are growing specialty coffee? Oh, interesting. Roughly, even, like, even if you don't know off the top of your head, like, well, what's your gut? Is it like 10%? Is it 1%, 50%? Um,
2: no, I think probably... Well, we have, uh, just, just so you get a sense, is... El Salvador has about 18,000 farmers, right? And okay. of those, 20% are what you would, you would call um, somewhat big farmers or medium-sized. Those are the guys that have more than um, 7 hectares, 10 hectares, right? Yeah. Um, uh, my gut will tell me that about maybe 40% of those guys are into specialty coffee.
0: Wow. Okay, that's a lot more yep. than I thought it was.
2: Yeah, because um, uh, it's not a lot of farmers, you know. So yeah. and uh, everybody knows each other. They tend to talk a lot so amongst themselves. So hmm. yeah, that's what I would think. And then there's. Sm- and is it, is
0: it, my um, perception seems to be that there's a lot less small producers like in in countries like uh, so Ethiopia, for instance. There's, uh, or even Bolivia, there's you'd have people that have a handful of trees and they would bring it to a washing station and just get some money and then that's it. It's kind of like part-time, as part of their just daily existence, they happen to have some coffee trees. But in El Salvador, it's a lot more cultivation. It seems to be bigger properties, generally wealthier people. Would that be fair to say?
2: Um, yeah. I mean, of the mix, I, I, I was telling my wife yesterday, I've, I, I find it amazing that, Eighty eighty percent of the farmers are um, very small holders, right? Yeah. Twenty percent have significant amounts of land. Call it ten hectares and above, right? And yeah. um, and is is your basic eighty twenty rule. So those twenty percent of the farmers actually produce eighty percent of the coffee in the country, right? Wow. So. Um, interesting because the the small holders really don't produce that much coffee only like 20% oh okay
0: that's interesting okay so let me bring it back right to the beginning okay yep you are starting uh, to plant seeds you're starting to like grow trees and then you're preparing for the harvest ahead like what what does the year of that the growing of coffee cherries
2: like entail how do you start the process Um, sure so right, uh, right after the harvest finishes, um, you basically prune the trees to develop new growth. Um, and all the, uh, how you're going to prune it, that depends on the management that you're providing the farm. Um, uh, this is what you tend to do during the dry season. So you, you prune, um, you get rid of the wheat, uh, you know um, uh, clean clean up the farm a bit and then basically you just wait that's traditionally what you do for management and then you wait for the rains as soon as the rains come in then you will fertilize get rid of yeah. of, of more wheat as you have more rain they will tend to grow and yeah. and prune some of the shade trees El Salvador has a lot of, sh- of shaded coffee so you need to manage the shade as well so you would do that during April, May timeframe.
0: So when you say there's a wait there, like you say you're waiting two weeks, six months, like how long is
2: that wait? Um, it could be a couple of months. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what I've noticed actually, um, is something that I've been uh, tinkering with lately is because I wanna change sort of the approach that we've been having at the, the farm and the management of it is traditionally, you will hire people when you need them at the farms. And mm-hmm. so pruning may, may take a couple of weeks. And then so right after the harvest, you may have a month worth of work. And then after that, you just get rid of your employees, um, wait a couple more months, hire hire people back in May when you have the rains, and go through yeah. fertilization, shade tree pruning, and weeding out of, you know, the 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 weeds right and then in october um uh, basically you will get rid of the people again and hire them for the harvest in november or december and um
0: and obviously it's hard to get the same people to do all that then because you, you know, so you're constantly yeah. changing
2: correct yeah. so okay. what well, what i've been tinkering with is and we've we i've done some pilot programs and we started doing this um, five years ago, we were trying to keep the same people and provide uh, them with full-time work year-round, so it gives them more stability okay. in terms of, of their incomes, um, and also there's so much to do at the farm that it allows me to actually have people year-round, so, um, and some of the things we be been... But there must be an
0: impact in quality that way, though, as well, though.
2: Sorry, say again? I said there must be an impact
0: on quality that way, so... All the little small things yeah. you'd like to do before you can now do
2: yeah, so so actually, two years ago we did um, um, I, I wanted to have the same people working on the same plot of land at the farm for continuity purposes, and um, we put on a small parcel about two hectares. We put two guys full time. Their only job was to work on that piece of land um just just to see impact on quality um, uh, management, whether it was easier or not, and sure it's more more expensive, I would say, but um the results were great, so we are rolling that out um, on more parcels of the of the farm uh, this year actually right.
0: so. um, it seems like uh, that uh, it would also make those workers more invested in the success of the farm as well, so if they're if they're there Sorry, all you broke up. You broke up. I was saying that it's um, it must be uh, it must make it easier for the for the workers to become more invested in the success of the farm as well, if they're there right. all year round.
2: Yep. And okay. uh, That's they, they, yeah, because the other thing I wanted to try to implement is to have them see an actual um, monetary benefit from working the coffee. So if that coffee, and and we did with that plot of land, actually Steve paid extra for that coffee, so that extra went went back into them as a bonus, like, listen, this is the amount I sell the coffee, but this is what the buyer paid extra for you, basically. It's not for me, it's for you, and to recognize the labor that you put into and all the effort and care that you put into growing that coffee for him. So.
0: Yeah. So obviously you can't um, just plant seeds at the start of the year and then harvest cherries at the end of that year. So there's obviously a, a growing phase. And uh, are oh. you are you constantly growing new plants to to harvest in three, four, five, six, seven years, or or how do you work it? Do you just work off the same trees?
2: Yeah. So coffee is a perennial, right? So basically, a tree lasts for about 20, 25 years, and. Mm-hmm. You plant at the beginning of the rainy season to make sure that you have rain, and whatever you plant takes hold. And from, from seed to the field, it takes about... Some people can do it in six, eight months, maybe, if you, planted, you plant a really small seedling. Uh, other people take up to a year. So you have your nurseries. Um, you care of the nurseries for eight months ten months whatever maybe and then you put it back into the field and it takes another year into the field before you start seeing some production from those trees
0: okay and then so. if we step away from what you do and what specialty uh, does especially coffee uh, producers mm-hmm. if you if you were to walk you know down the street to the next or <laughs> down the valley to the uh <laughs> to just a, like a a regular typical el salvadorian uh, coffee farmer okay. what is he doing that's different to what you're doing like what is what is the normal thing to do
2: um normal thing to do um that's, uh, that is a tough question because everybody does different things from from what i've noticed and um you so you have the farmers that they basically just um, have the farm there. They don't invest a lot of money into the farm. Um, they may fertilize one time um, a year. In, uh, usually I fertilize three times, right? I know people that fertilize four times. Um, yeah. And, and, and I put significant amounts, for, not significant, but adequate amount of fertilizer. Some people just do it one time. Um, some people just hire um, fewer people to look after the farm. Um, So I don't know. I don't know how to approach your question, actually. What I would say is that you have the people that actually work the farms, and then you have people irrespective of whether they sell specialty or not. These are the people that have a vested interest in their coffee farm, and their management is more proactive and more Mm hands-on. And then you have people that um, see coffee either as a hobby or a side business or something that is just there, and they tend to spend... As little money as possible, um, you know, into so the farm. So they
0: have they a, have like a, a different source of income, and they just happen to own coffee trees, and they come back once a year and harvest. Is that it?
2: Yeah, that's it. Um, you have a lot of people that just inherited the farms, and, and they're not really coffee farmers. They're just um, uh, they may be lawyers, doctors, and the farm is just there. You know, um, I know yeah. farmers, and I know farmers that. I don't know. They, they they may not even go to the farm um, throughout the season. You know, they may visit the yeah. farm once a year, and that's a lot, right? Yeah. So compare that to people that are at the farm three, four, five times a week. So it's it's very yeah. different. I know I know
0: coffee shop owners like that. Steve only visits our coffee shop once a year as well. So
2: he's
0: a bit <laughs> like that. Too. The um, the okay. So let's skip forward then to harvesting. Okay, so it comes into the, the harvest season and let's talk about you specifically here. How long is, is, your, is your harvest season and is it, does it all happen at the same time or is it very spread out and uh, how labour intensive is that? Like, t- talk me through what happens.
2: Okay, so um, harvesting the country usually starts in October and uh, that is for the low altitude farms. So because the trees are at a lower altitude, they tend to mature quicker. And they will be harvesting in October. Um, As you move up the mountain, uh, the coffee matures more slowly. And the higher you up, the later in the season you will harvest. So the season actually goes from October to end of March, mid-April. I know of... Yeah, I know some people that actually have um, uh, farms that are very high up, and they also have varietals that mature slower than Bourbon, so they're harvesting in April. You know. Um, wow, that's like, that's seven months. Um, yeah, but re- re- remember, is is they may not be the same farmers. You know. So at my farm, yeah, yeah. usually, usually the harvesting season is about two months. Yeah, and, um, and it's very labor-intensive. You need to get about 60, 70 more people in to do the harvest. Uh, and you pay them by the amount of coffee that they pick. Um, yeah. And, and they go through, you go through all the different areas that have the mature cherries. And we may do two or three passes throughout the harvest season. So you will start in one plot. Let, I don't know, put, put one in um, San Jorge. Um, yeah. So you would do a first pass, and then the people will move around the farm collecting cherries in other areas, and then a month later you would do a second pass, and then two or th- or two two weeks after that you would do a final pass, and collect all okay. the cherries. So yeah.
0: So you're talking about like the the workers get. Um, get paid by how much cherry they pick so if you have one worker who picks let's say seven kilos of cherries in a given time space and then you have another worker who picks 10 kilos in that same time space but two of those 10 kilos are unripe okay which of those workers is your is your preference you know i mean like it's there must be a balance like if somebody is picking a lot more cherry but they're making a lot more errors you've got somebody who doesn't make many errors but doesn't collect uh, as much coffee is that is that a constant battle for you like are you constantly talking to the workers about not picking on um
2: i'm going to be honest here it's not a constant battle for me actually it's a constant battle for my foreman so i tell I, yeah. I i tell my farm manager that um we need to pick uh ripe cherries so we pay a little bit more because it takes more time for them to do that um but he's the one that's on top of them making sure that they don't pick a lot of greens or, you know, a lot of bad quality coffee and so forth. So
0: okay. So within that, you have uh, these pickers and obviously you want to get pickers that you had years before in different harvests. But you have these pickers coming onto the, the farm and sometimes you'll have new ones. What, what training is involved and how do you get them to, to adapt to the mindset of what you're trying to do as opposed to what a, a generic coffee farmer was trying to do was that difficult there's a lot of training involved or how do you work that
2: um there is not a lot of training usually i mean they they know how to do it um and basically it's just being on top of them to make to explain to them what exactly we we need them to pick you know um i know other other farmers they actually pay more if they pick all the uh, what they call the gourmet picking instead of regular picking um, but I, I think at the end of the day just being on top of them and explaining to them what what you want from them um,
0: yeah, yeah okay. I guess mm. so Steve I'm going to bring you in here a little bit yep so okay so you've turned up at Ali's farm I have a, n- a it, number of times does it look different okay so when you get to a farm like Ali's farm or a farm of that ilk even in other countries does it look different when you get there do you say Can you tell by looking at the place, like by looking at the workers, the way they're working, the way it's set up? Can you tell instantly whether there's a good chance this is going to produce good coffee?
1: I think you definitely get a feel for it. I know that I'll turn up somewhere and like if it's clean and tidy and it's organised, that gives you a pretty good idea that the people that own the farm are paying attention to the small details. Um, You know, so things like, you know, signs. Uh, if I get to a farm and there's a sign there, one, it's a great photo opportunity to help sell that coffee on the website for us. But also, two, it's kind of like, it's a little touch, it's nice. And it's like if you go to a restaurant and they've got the little things right, it normally means that the food's going to be pretty amazing. Um, yeah. I think the other feeling as well is you get onto a farm and you have this like, does this feel a nice place to be? And there's lots of farms I've gone on to where I felt not threatened, but just like, uneasy there's a there's a sense that this isn't kind of quite as uh, happy or the you know the workers may be raised voices or they may be quite lazy and and you know not doing the the things that they should be doing and you definitely get a feeling for that kind of stuff that walking onto a farm that is well organized that has those all of those little details looked after and happy happy workers means that the coffee's generally going to be it's going to have a better chance than the coffee where the details aren't looked at
0: yeah, it kind of echoes what I heard um, and copy saying uh, at an event she spoke at in Dublin recently, where she said that one of the things that, that always throws her off guard is when she does a lot of work in Costa Rica, and she said if she goes and visits farms, and the 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 owner of the farm if he's not making eye contact or talking with the workers, yeah. like it puts her right off, you know. And she's been to places where they won't even acknowledge that there are other people there, and she usually thinks like that's a bad sign of of what's to come. You know what I mean, like. So it's, it's interesting when you talk oh, about it. Oh, for sure.
1: That. I think, it, I mean, the other thing is that, you know, we've bought amazing coffee in the past from people that we, you know, we maybe didn't get on with as well. And I think that's a really important thing that you have to actually like the people that you're buying the coffee from. I think it's a really important um, part of the process because, you, you know, similar mindset. So, like with Ali, I know that I can say to him, okay, I, I've got this crazy experiment. What do you think about this? And if he he will be as excited about that as I am, because we're like minded and we have lots of things in common where, you know, we don't know any of the answers, so we're just trying stupid stuff to see whether it works. Um, and that's yeah. all part of the friendship thing. Like I, I, I'm really lucky that all of the people that we buy from I kind of class as friends as well as, you know, people we're doing business with. Um, and that yeah. to me is also a great sign of coffee bean good you know that you can have a relationship and a, and a friendship there even if you don't speak the same languages I still you know like uh, Bolivia is a great example where you've got like guys that you know they don't speak English they're very wary of outside people coming in but we have a relationship that's really strong because they're now trusting me and I trust them and and, and I think that's really important as well and it sounds a little bit fluffy and a little bit kind of naff but I just think it's so so important yeah, no, it's the same.
0: Like even at our level, like if if we go to visit a coffee shop, who wants to start buying coffee and they're rude to their staff or their customers? It's like yeah, this is an oh, no I, like you need that soft stuff in what you
1: do. Yeah. Ali, I want to. I kind of want to ask you. I mean, do you think it's important to have that relationship with with a buyer? Do you think that that's something that you value?
2: Um, you know, you know the answer to that question, I guess, already. But um, I do. Um, I think having a a buyer that you know is going to support you and is going to purchase the coffee that you produce year in and year out, and is going to help you maintain your quality and even increase it, is what um, what it, I mean is ideal. That's what every grower should look for or should try to get. Um, I uh, I just don't understand growers that you know they they will they will sell to you one year and then the following year they want a higher price or they sell to someone else and it just doesn't provide you stability so i think it's important to have that stability and that stability comes from my ability to know at what price i can sell my coffee year in and year out does it make sense yeah no no for sure yeah, that makes
0: a lot of sense yeah i think um both of you will undoubtedly have watched hundreds of times uh, a barista competition routine that I did, uh, which was about, um, don't snigger, Steve, which was about, uh, I suppose, um, the proposition that El Salvador was the progressive coffee growing country. And I think over the years, um, people like yourself, Ali, like uh, Ada Battle, and um, I mean, uh, the Pacas family, lots of different growers within El Salvador have shown a willingness to experiment and try new things. I, I think, am I right in saying you two absolute geniuses decided to put coffee into Coca-Cola once? Was that, or am I making that up?
1: Yeah, no, no, we did that. I remember the time where I asked Ali. We were in the back of, uh, back of his pickup truck driving down from a different farm, actually, from San Rafael. And we were cu- trying to come up with the most stupid experiment that we possibly could. So we started talking about-, about, yeah, no, no, well, we started off and we said, <laughs> what if we did it in, like, orange juice? Like, what would that do? Because, you know, that, instead of water using that orange seems juice... sensible. Yeah, yeah, it seems sensible. I mean, it's a good thing to do. It's
0: got fructose, you know, it's, it's a natural product. It's, yeah.
1: Exactly, so we did that, and then but then it was like, what if we did it in rum? So if we got this, like, some local liquor and fermented it in local liquor, it was like, yeah, that's good. to then oh. the Coca-Cola one came up, and then we was like, we should really stop doing this. So we did all three experiments, and Ali was... Did uh, they work? Uh, well, th- the results were interesting. Ali, I mean, mm. I, I'll let you talk about the results,
2: because... Yeah. Well, I... <laughs> I would say that you you had a taste, a different taste um the liquor one certainly was more phenolic, um, but the taste was only good for like about a month. the coca cola one was wasn't <laughs> what we were expecting it didn't didn't give you like like a like a lot of sweetness i mean it didn't didn't do much yeah. for it um so yeah
0: that would have been a litigation but by least... field trying to sell coca cola coffee is also. Well, <laughs> But he was just like. Um, but well, like, Ali. On a serious note, though, Ali, like, what is it that gave? What is it that gives El Salvador that like that uh, urge to innovate and to try new things and to be to be aggressive about um, about you know producing new wonderful coffees? Suppose, like, kind of like the Ireland of that part of the world. I suppose.
2: Uh, I think uh, you have a lot of very competitive farmers, um, and a lot of a lot of the farmers actually. Uh, are well-educated as well. Um, A lot of people have studied abroad and they come with new ideas and a willingness to try new things um, and just try. Uh, I think in El Salvador everybody gets it, or at least the people that are in the game get it, that you need to differentiate your coffee. And the way to make money in coffee is uh, doing it through specialty coffee. Um, Commercial coffee is just very hard um, to to make good returns. So um, I think that's
1: what it is. Can I can I give you my thoughts on that as well, Carly? Cool. Because I think it's interesting that you highlighted, you know, the, 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 the island kind of link there. And and I think that there's a definite smaller country mentality of El Salvador where they're much more willing to break away from the older ways because they want to be that innovative kind of like, you know, more mobile, uh, country. And El Salvador really strikes me as somewhere that is like, they don't follow the old rules. They, they will do whatever they think is good, but actually they're also ones that will give the most control to the buyer. And I think it's that small country mentality a little bit. Um, you know, you talked to somebody from El Salvador about Guatemala and that there's a definite competitiveness against, um, you know yeah. the, the the country, and you talk somewhere like Ireland, and, and against like the you know the the UK, and there'll be that that competitiveness there, where no, we'll do better, we'll do it more, and and I definitely think El Salvador for me has that element to it as well. Yeah. Okay, so let's mm-hmm.
0: let's talk a bit about processing, Ali. Um, what happens? Like, what what do you do? Like, you're uh, you do a variety of different processes on your farm, like. How uh, how time consuming is this, and how uh, how how dangerous is this? Like, uh, my perception at my end is that like that your processing could just, you know, a half an hour too much here or there, and it's completely ruined. Is this is this the truth? Like, how much do you, do you How much effort do you put into this, and how much do you worry about it?
2: Um, the the processing part. Well, it takes about a month. I would say for the coffee to get processed from cherry all the way to, uh, to parchment when it's ready just to be hold and, and prep. Um, maximum a month, I would say. But um, traditionally in El Salvador, they started doing washed coffee, which is just, just a traditional way with a lot of machinery. Um, Make sure you dip up the coffee, you ferment it in tanks, you wash it, you dry it in a patio, and then you store it in a warehouse uh, ready to be hauled. So um, Nowadays, everybody pretty much does either pulp natural, wash, natural process. um, Mm -hmm. And it does take a little bit more time. And um, maybe time is not the main issue. It's the space at the mill, because you need to segregate all these different batches of coffee. And so space is a constraint. And the other constraint that um, the mills have is Uh, the organization, just to make sure that they don't mess it up. Um, I don't, uh, a a lot of people, I I personally don't think that coffee can be easily ruined. I think it, 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 it takes, it takes a lot of effort to actually ruin it in the process. Um, So that, that's just my take of it. Um, You can spend um, a lot of time and be very cautious and, you know, Take good care of your coffee. But I think in general, every every mill that I visited here, everybody knows how to do their stuff. I mean, they're very good at what they do. And they've been doing it for such a long time that, you know, it's, it's just reasonable to get that.
1: Okay. I, I, I don't know. I want to ask you something, questions. I hope I answered it. the question. Yeah, no, I no, think you did. Good. I think that was good. It was, it, yeah. it was great. I think yeah. the question I want to ask about processing before we move on from that is very much about... so. You used to only do washed coffee. When I first met you, that was all you did, right? Correct. And then some guy who doesn't know anything about processing and doesn't know anything about El Salvador or coffee farming comes along and says, yeah, can you do me some pulp natural and natural? Um, how, How do you kind of learn to then go, yeah, okay, and then I remember your first natural you did was, like, phenomenal. Like, it was amazing. And it was just like, how... How did you learn that? Do you go and buy a book from the local shop and go and like kind of read about it? Or do you go and ask your neighbor? or How, how do you do that?
2: Um, well, let, let's talk about that specific case, right? Because I, re- I remember I got an email from you. It's like, oh, I want um, 20 bags processed natural and 20 bags uh, pub natural. Can you do it? And I'm like, gee, I I, I don't even know what this is, right? So <laughs> I went... <laughs> I went over to the mill and I asked the guy in charge of the whole production, the process, the operations guy. And I'm like, hey, listen, this guy is asking me for this pulp natural. Do you know what this is? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You just deep open and throw it in the patio. That's it? Yeah, but it, it can get very sticky, so it's kind of tricky. You have to be turning it, turning it more. Oh, OK. And then and what is natural coffee? And he's like, oh, no, that just, you just drop it on the patio, it's just like it comes from the farm. And uh, the first time that I asked for this at the mill, they didn't want to do it. And basically it's because they, they had all these misconceptions about, nat- especially for natural process, because all the greens that you get from the farms, because they're too hard, they cannot be depulped. So they're basically dried naturally. And that's the perception that they have that the bad coffee, the okay. crappy coffee, is the, the natural coffee. So when I brought in ripe cherries, really nice, and they put it on the patios, they thought I was crazy. But <laughs> no, it turned out great. And after that, at at, at the mill that we were wor- uh, working with at the time, it changed their minds and they started doing more natural coffees and so forth.
0: Yeah, yeah it's easy that one country where you can like you say there that oh, now everybody's doing you know natural pulp, natural washed. But like outside of El Salvador, that's not necessarily true. Like I've seen like one natural Kenyan in my time and I wasn't a huge fan of it. And um like other countries don't seem to be doing that, but it's El Salvador, seems to have that, that range. And then are we seeing like that yellow honey, red honey, uh, black honey and uh, recently I saw a white honey, actually Square might have a white honey. Yeah. So um I think there's a there's definitely a market for beige honey as well, I think, <laughs> somewhere in between yellow and white. Um mm. is that is that something that's that's taking on in El Salvador or is it?
2: um I haven't seen many people do it I've seen a few um I think that's more of a th- uh, a thing in Costa Rica I mean yeah. uh, from what I understand is you use um, mechanical mucilage remover to do that and you can adjust with the machine you can adjust the amount of mucilage that you can take out and um, right. like, I that's my understanding of it so if you remove all the mucilage well that's a washed coffee if you remove just a little bit then you'll get like a white honey and if you know if you remove less mucilage you get a black honey something like that but Steve may yeah. know more about it than I do
1: yeah no I think I think you bang on the money there it's, it's all the mechanical scrubbers that are you know they're, they're the particular machines that you can get from the... the Colum- they're actually made in Colombia, the... Uh, P- 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 oh, yeah, I always get a, panacea, but it's a It begins with a P. Oh, uh, there we go. Um, and yeah, yeah. yeah, and you can just yeah. change the settings for the different honeys to remove as much or as little mucilage as you want. And, and yeah, obviously the darker you go, the more, the more natural kind of stuff you get in and the lighter you go in, you know, the more closer to washed you're getting in. Somewhere in the middle is a pulp natural. It really is just pulp natural in lots and lots of ways, though. Um, it's just with more mucilage on.
0: Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that Sangho Park made up a white honey just to sell more coffee. No, no, no we, just, uh, we, we, we and, uh, no, we had a white honey last year. No, we had a white honey really? last year as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah,
1: white yeah. honey, gold honey,
0: red I'm gonna, I'm gonna, honey. I'm going to demand purple honey later on <laughs> in this year, so I need to get on top of that one. I'm sure um, somebody will do so it for like, you. I'm, I'm definitely sure, yeah, definitely sure that's definitely going to happen. So, Ali, here's a, here's a question for you, okay? So, I roll into town in a big... A uh, big fancy car and get out of my car and go, Here you go, here's $10,000 to invest in one aspect of what you do. Okay, uh, no strings attached, do what you like, just but you need to be very specific. So, would you invest that at picking? Would you invest it in pruning? Would you invest it in new plant stock? Would you invest it in like soil analysis? Where would you put all of that money if you had it just to show that one particular area? And then, where would you think is the greatest? Uh,
2: Potential learning, Steve. You know what I'm gonna, gonna answer, right? Yeah, I do. Um, he wants his He hates it, but I, I, uh, <laughs>
1: no, he wants his own mill. He wants no, to build will, his own mill, and he wants to all his probably, processing. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yep. I will probably, I will probably buy a deep pulper. Yeah. Uh, a mini eco mill uh, is about seven thousand bucks, right? So you can, uh, for the amount of coffee that we get at the farm we can just process it on site. And that's a project that I have, and eventually I hope I get to do it in three, four years down the road. But the whole idea is to process everything on site, and I feel that at the altitude that we are, the temperatures that we are, is going to be a slower drying time for the coffee, and it's going to produce better coffee than when you send it down to the mill. So that's something that you need to get from El Salvador is, every country is unique and every country is different because of their own um, I guess um, the, their own factors, right? Climate and populations, whatever it may be. So El Salvador, all the coffee is grown up in the mountains and there's not a lot of water in the mountains. However, there's a lot of water in the down in the valleys. So most of the coffee is centralized at these processing stations that are at 700 meters above sea level, like down in the valley, and they tend to process 30,000, 40,000 bags a year, you know. Uh, Some are big, some are small. So basically, which is very different from other places, like if you go to um, Nicaragua, for example, they do the, uh, the wet process, which is basically the depoping and fermentation and washing at the farms, but they do the drying somewhere else. So they ship the coffee to a drying station. Here in El Salvador is shipped, the cherry is basically not shipped, it's basically taken over to these mills and they do the whole process on site. So what I want to do is do the wet process at the farm and then the drying and just, just the hauling and all that and the preparation of the export uh, product uh, that can be sorted out by someone else. But uh, that's sort of what I would do with the, Yeah.
1: Keeping on that innovation kind of theme that going on there, but what? So El Salvador, you know, I, I think pretty much, you know, was the first to do a lot more of the varietal kind of work. So you, you didn't see so much kind of varietal separation. You've got uh, places like James Hill doing all of the different processing types. So always innovating. What's the next thing? What's, what do you think El Salvador is going to do next for, you know, the, the next big innovation um, for coffee?
2: Wow. I know it's a tough I one. I really don't know because... It is, and and the the industry right now is not going through their best moment yeah. um, because of the leaf rust attack and a whole host of issues. So I really don't know what will happen three years down the road, to be honest.
1: Uh, keeping on that leaf rust um, yeah. thing, theme then, because I'll give you an easy one to answer, what, what changes have there been? Um, since the leaf rust so you know like, have you seen a, a change in varietals have you seen people going for the more hardier varietals because it really hurt El Salvador because of that whole Bourbon and you know 70% of the plants stopped being Bourbon right. and particularly susceptible so have you seen a lot of change with that
2: um, how about this uh, let me give some perspective as to what happened so listeners understand sort of where this is coming yeah. from does that make sense yes,
1: no that would be good and then
2: I'll answer your question okay so I think it was October of 2012, pretty much, where we had a leaf rust outbreak. Now, in and of itself, that's not unique. I mean, we've always had rust. But the thing is that um, the rust strain that we had was more aggressive, so it moved up to higher altitude, and actually it attacked uh, not only the old plants, but also younger plants. Um, and usually, where back in the days, rust used to stay below 1,000 meters. Um, With that attack, it went up all all the way up to 1,500, 1,600 meters. And keep in mind that the fungi fungi is um, dependable on temperature. So I guess we had higher temperatures and that allowed the fungi to migrate upwards, up up the mountain. Um, It was estimated that By the end of the harvest season, 75% of all coffee plants were infected. And what was the impact that that caused? Basically, the following year, because this happened in October, so pretty much the 2012-2013 harvest was already there. It affected quality a bit, but the big impact came the following year in 2013-2014 harvest, and that harvest dropped by 60%. And basically El Salvador just managed to produce four hundred and thirty thousand bags of coffee. That was it. Um, and keep this in mind when I tell you this, is consider that in nineteen forty the country actually produced twice as much coffee with half the land in cultivation that it did in 2013-2014. Wow. Right. So the impact that Ross had was significant. And then there's another aspect that people don't think about, but it's the social impact. So we're talking about a drop in production, basically, of half a million to a million bags. Because, you know, uh, yields change year by year, but pretty much that's kind of what it is. And because you pay your pickers by the amount of coffee that they pick, you're, I mean... Is half a million bucks less for them to pick, which is equivalent to fifteen million to maybe thirty million dollars less in wages for employees, right? And all that lack of money, basically, uh, at least that's my my uh, perspective, is it has led to a lot of social unrest and crime. And you've seen that in this year that crime has actually spiked. And all that crime, it just makes it unsafe for you to work at the farm and do all the things you want to do. It it just makes it more complicated. Um, the The other aspect is that the attack of the rust basically has reduced the land that is devoted to coffee. So, some people, I've seen different numbers, but um, some people, some people say, say it's been like 15 to 20%, to 20% drop, drop in, and in, in um, uh, coffee, the coffee, coffee devoted to uh, uh, land devoted coffee coffee. Devotion. Okay, so, so, so right now, uh, in 2010, for example, we had 217,000 manzanas in cultivation for coffee, and that dropped. Uh, below the two hundred thousand, and back in the eighties the country actually was uh, above two hundred and forty thousand so we 've lost fifty thousand manzanas worth of coffee you know over the years but over the years, but you know recently we put ten fifteen thousand more that we just lost right um, so I think um, a lot of people are struggling trying to figure out what to do. Um, The government is also struggling, so um, have we gotten any help from them? They've tried, but I think it it hasn't been enough. So this year, for example, they gave away 7 million coffee trees or coffee seedlings for everybody to plant. But when you think about it, 7 million out of the total population, that's about 1%, which is negligible. Right? It doesn't mean anything. Um, the other thing that they've done, actually, and they gave me a lot of product the other day, but uh, they've been giving away fungicide, so people can actually uh, treat the coffee trees for rust. Um, but even though the product may be free, I don't think is very effective for a few reasons. Is if you have a, if you have a, a coffee farm that is. Um, infected with rust, and you don't have a high yield, the labor cost per um, quintal or whatever measure of output you want to consider for the coffee, right? But the cost is going to be so high for that labor that a lot of people don't want to actually do it, you know? So uh, I estimated that if you have two quintales per manzana, which was about the the output on the worst uh, harvest season we've had, the the one that I was telling you about of four hundred sixty thousand bags, mm-hmm.
1: four
2: hundred thirty thousand bags, yeah. But um, basically, the the cost would be about twenty dollars, twenty dollars per quintal or so. You know, yeah. yeah. So when you wh- when you have such a high cost, and it just and the coffee prices are so low. It just doesn't incentivize the average producer to go and use that product on the farm. It actually yeah. maybe it ins- incentivizes them to sell that product and get a profit out of something that they got for free. I don't know. Yeah. So, so um,
0: just, just as a uh, 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 just to pause for one second, um, for those that don't understand, so a manzana is about uh, it's o- one point seven acres. Is that correct?
2: 0.7 acres point uh, seven hectares yeah
0: Yeah, and then it's um, like what do you break that down into and how many coffee bags would that generally produce like so how would you there's actually there's an excellent post on this on the Barista, the Barista Guild of Europe's website that Dale Harris mm-hmm. did but just for those listening um, how would you like how, how much coffee should a Manzana produce
2: um Ideally, it should be above fifteen quintales. So one quintale is a hundred pounds, but it should be about fifteen quintales. Um, but it, a lot of it depends on on the land um, yeah. and the location. Like I know farms that they produce forty, thirty-five quintales per mensem. Easy, no problem.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, I produce if if I'm at twenty-five, thirty, I'm super happy. Now yeah. the the country of El Salvador, the yields of quintales per manzana has have also been decreasing. Um, back in the sixties, nineteen sixties, it used to be the uh, El Salvador had the highest yield in Central America, right? I think it was yeah. seventeen quintales per manzana. And right now we're like a five, four or five or something like that. It's just so depressing. That's incredible. So <laughs> yeah. Huh. So this year these this harvest that just passed, I, I think uh, we saw quite an increase. I think it was a 30% increase in output, but yeah. uh, as a, the, con- the country as a whole, but it came from such a slow amount to begin with that it's not that much. I mean, the, it was 600,000 bags, I think it was the output for last season. And when you think about it, is, uh, to put it in perspective, is the, whole, uh, the output of the whole country is the internal consumption of Honduras. Right. Honduras, I think, is about seven million, six, five, five six, five or six million, something like that. And internally, they leave about 600,000 bags for internal consumption. And that's what the whole country of El Salvador is producing now as a whole. So depressing.
1: Yeah. very. So it is. It's really depressing. And, and it makes me really sad because El Salvador is so going, one of my favorite producing countries. It's, it's it's really sad to see the way that it's it's going. I mean, what's the future? What, what, do you see there being a the future for coffee in El Salvador, like in 5, 10, 20 years?
2: Um, yeah, so my perspective, going back to your question, is what people are doing, what are they planting? Um, I, 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 some people are sticking with Bourbon. Um, they know that the cup quality is good, so they're, they're staying with Bourbon. Um, some other people are experimenting with different varietals. Um, I, I'm trying to diversify a little bit because um, I feel that management and processing plays an important role in the overall quality at the end. So um, I'm trying to invest more in how we manage the coffee. And we're experimenting with some uh, timer hybrids, with some um, Arabustas, which are Arabica-Robusta mixes that are more resistant to rust and diseases and so forth. So we're experimenting a bit, but we're, um, we're also keeping bourbon, we're keeping uh, pacas, and we're going to introduce some pacamara as well. So it's just how you manage it. And if you, yeah, I think um, in the future, maybe the overall yields are not going to be as high but the people that are in specialty coffee are going to keep producing high-quality coffee that they're going to be able to to sell into the market. Um, the way I think of it is like Panama. Panama produces like 300,000 bags or so, yeah. but they have such a, a high reputation for good-quality coffee that their industry is well-positioned. So down the road, I think El Salvador is probably going to be focusing on that. It's on high-quality coffee, uh, not necessarily a lot of coffee, at this point, Honduras is going to be doing that. Uh, we're just going to be focused on very uh, niche markets, specialty, and so forth. Yeah.
0: Okay. Finally, um, I've uh, I've spent a lot, like a large portion of my career as a barista, talking about coffees from El Salvador and talking about work being done at farm level from El Salvador all the while never having been to el salvador never stood on a coffee farm there um, and <laughs> like how does that like do you find that odd and then also like if there are Bursts out there listening, how does that um, do, what, what can we do at our level to to promote el salvador in coffee and um, like you, I don't, i'm interested to, to, to hear your thoughts on on talking coffee farms <laughs> uh, on the back streets of Term and ficken uh,
2: um <laughs> Um, so I think that um, the positioning that El Salvador has as a good, as a coffee of good quality comes from the work that a lot of baristas such, like yourself have done over the years. Um, I think it's important, and especially because baristas are at the front end of the whole um, coffee knowledge, uh, information distribution base, whatever you think about it. But um, it would be, be important for more baristas to visit Origin. I think, is um, a lot of things get um, people think of it uh, differently when you read it on a textbook or when it's hearsay than when you actually see it firsthand, you know. Yeah. And, um, and I'll give you an example of a, of a friend that actually visited. Um, he's a, a barista, stopped by. Uh, we went to the farm and he had no idea. Like, he's, he's spoken about this, he knows about, he's competed, he knows about coffee, he explains it very well, but he's never, he had never seen the process itself, he had never seen um, what it means to grow coffee. So I think um, it's important for baristas to go to origin, hear the stories firsthand from the growers, um, get a feel for uh, coffee farming, which is very different from what you read, actually. So, um, that 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 would be my recommendation. It just makes them more informed, I think. Um, and I know the barista guild in the U.S. does a lot of that of origin trips, and I think those are very important in general. Yeah, because uh, I don't know. My 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 main issue is that, um, and I find it I find it um, not insulting. I find it weird, right? <laughs> that the story, I find it weird that the stories of the farmers and the stories of the farm are being told by people that don't work at the farm or people that have never been to a farm, right? So, and and uh, like you have roasters like, like Steve telling stories about farmers and you have baristas like yourself telling stories about farmers and the farms. But... You know, it's very different. I would, What I would love to see in the future is for farmers to actually be telling their stories themselves out there for the well, public.
0: You know, we could we could put a TV in 3FE if you had a good internet link, and we could like, we could periscope you walking to your farm, and right? you can talk directly to our customers <laughs> as well. Maybe we try that someday.
2: All right, cool. That would be great.
1: Um, I've cool. got a final question, Ali, before we wrap up, because we're nearly, nearly at the hour mark, and... Uh, Jen doesn't like us going over an hour. She gets angry at us. Um,
0: she's hitting me with a stick okay. right
1: now. Yeah, yeah, I bet she is as well. She's uh, she's she's stickler free. I I prefer the two-hour ones, but um, no, Jen doesn't like them. Um, two questions. Um, one is okay. it true in the rumor that you are going to be competing in the El Salvador Barista Championship this year? And question two, if so, will there be any gnomes involved in the the whole of the routine? <laughs> Uh, so,
2: <laughs> so yes, and the main reason, and that's what at least the excuse I put forward uh, to my wife, is uh, the Barista Championship is going to be in Ireland. So I need to try to get an excuse to go there and, and visit Colin and visit you, Steve. So <laughs> that's why I'm entering the competition this year. It's going to be, I think, April or, or March. Um, yeah. And there are going to be gnomes involved because um, I'm trying to pick a coffee um, that we have used charcoal, biochar is what it's called, but we have used biochar into the, into the soil for that coffee. So uh, I don't know what the result is going to be yet. I, I don't know if it's going to be good coffee or bad coffee, but um, hopefully it's good coffee and it had gnome food in it, so I can mention the gnomes in the routine.
1: You're gonna to have to tell the people who are listening what the gnome story is because uh, I can't do it without kind of cracking up. So you'll have to do it in the in the whole serious uh, uh, Rudolf Steiner way.
2: Okay, sure. I'll I'll explain it to people. But um, basically, biodynamics, which is a way of farming, I think is the 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 precursor of uh, organic agriculture. Um, biodynamics. Uh, the biodynamic uh, movement thinks that there are these elements, they're called elemental beings, and those are the ones that um, guide sort of what grows out of the earth. So one of the beings are called the gnomes, and those are the ones that live inside the earth and basically push the seeds out for them to become a tree or a plant or whatever. So um you do not want to make the gnomes angry you have to be you have to be careful yeah. so that's that's the serious yeah that's a serious answer to the gnomes so, but there are other it's not only the gnomes come on are the sils? so, so I'm at Ali's that, house
1: and he's telling me this after we've had a few beers uh, and we're, we're alone in his house like in the in the hills like you know a long way away from people i think this guy's going to kill me. He's a loony. He has no idea what he's talking about here. And it was a dead serious, dead straight face. Uh, and then he went into the garden and went and fetched one of his gnomes to show me the gnome as well. That Melanie keeps hiding from him and tries to get rid of, but it seems to keep finding its way back into the garden. So, yes.
0: Well, I'll, I'll make you a promise, Ali. When, 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 you, when you win the El Salvador Barista Championships and you come to Dublin to represent El Salvador at the World Championships, me and you are going to go hunting leprechauns okay
2: (laughs) oh that would be cool
0: absolutely that's a promise Um, that was incredible Ali thank you so much for taking time out and um, it was uh, very educational and uh, yeah I've learned a lot more things to say at people when they come to my shop coffee shop about El Salvadoran coffee (laughs) Um, so yeah we really appreciate it yeah no thank you buddy
2: great excellent it's been a pleasure for me as well
0: we'll see you all soon
2: you. Mm-hmm.